When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact Podcast. I am Justin Ponder, your host for today, and I'm excited to bring to you all knowledge and experience from Sabrina Griffith. Hello, Sabrina. Thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Justin. Thank you so much for having me today. So I've got a bit of a bio for you. Sabrina Griffith is a consultant, trainer, and strategist who works to encourage inclusion and belonging in corporations businesses, and organizations as they strive to create equitable practices. Sabrina is a Society of Human Resource Management certified professional and a diversity-first certified diversity professional. She has worked extensively in higher education, in employee engagement, student affairs, and operations, leading residential programs, advocacy, emergency response, and student support services. With more than 15 years As a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner, Sabrina develops and facilitates engaging and comprehensive sessions on DEI topics, including gender, sexuality, LGBTQ plus allyship, bias, race, colorism, and classism, to name a few. So thank you very much again, Sabrina, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. So our first question. And it's a question we've begun to like to ask everybody is to kind of get them to warm up. And then also so we can learn a little bit more about them. What brings you joy? What brings me joy? I think if you are a follower of the love languages, my top love language is quality time. So my loved ones, my friends will tell you, I just love hanging out. That could be sitting on the couch, watching some movies, sitting by the pool, going out for brunch. I'm a foodie. All right. I love going out to eat. My my bank account doesn't enjoy it as much, but I do. (laughs) Um, So really just spending quality time talking to people. I can also be an introvert. I'm very much an introvert. So sometimes it's just sitting in silence and just enjoying each other's energy. So that brings me. That's fantastic. Favorite type of food? What about that? You said you enjoy Italian cuisine. Oh, yes. Pasta, red sauce, seafood. All of that. Can't beat it. (laughs) All right. So now in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion, what inspired you to pursue a career in higher education and diversity, equity, and inclusion? So Justin, I started out in higher ed as a resident assistant. So as a student, I was an RA at my university, had an opportunity to be a supervisor of RAs my last year, and then left to join another school and stick with residence life. Wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I actually had the goal of being a clinical psychologist. Ah. And then post-graduation ended up in a situation where I was working with a child that had a bit of a a mental health breakdown and Mm. totally freaked me out. Called my father as soon as it was over, helped handle it well, but called him as soon as it was over and was like, so I don't think I'm going to use this degree. Uh, I don't know if I'm good with this. And little did I know it would come in handy anyway. Right. 
came back into housing as a professional, was challenged by my supervisor to create a diversity program for our institution. And at the time, people were talking diversity, social justice, all of that. And for me, we were at a space where we really just needed to talk about diversity. People Mm -hmm. were not accustomed to the differences on our campus. So I created a programming series. I called it the celebration series and just wanted to celebrate the differences on our campus. So Hispanic Heritage Month, German Heritage Month, Jewish American Heritage Month, things like that. Started there and then over the years as my institution grew, opportunities grew to kind of expand that education. I was also doing some LGBTQ plus allyship education, which we would call safe zone at most institutions. And it went from teaching our resident assistants how to be allies and encourage community in their residence halls to having faculty and staff wanting to have that same education, having faculty and staff saying, I don't know what these students are talking about. I need some help. Help me understand them. And From there, it's been 15, 16 years of nonstop DE&I conversation, (laughs) and and it's something that you're constantly finding people who have not really engaged in these conversations. You know, everything we're seeing right now, there's still spaces where people are like, I don't understand why this is a thing. I don't understand why we need to be talking about this. So we're always starting from scratch in certain spaces. And how do you get to that point? How do you answer that question where people say, why are we talking about this? Why do I need to do this? I think it's important that you started with celebrating different identities, but how do you even get to that point with someone who's been brought up for years, like many of us are, the way to get over issues of difference is to ignore difference. You know, we're all the same. We're all members of the human race. I don't see color. I don't see difference. How do you get to someone who has always seen difference? as a bad thing. And the way that you create allyship is emphasizing sameness. How do you celebrate difference with someone who doesn't want to recognize it? So I think part of that is really recognizing relationship and how Uh, beneficial relationship is. I think I've been very fortunate that part of my background has also been victim advocacy. Mm. So as a victim advocate, I recognize how to interact with people, how to support people, especially in their most difficult times. And then Also, my undergrad degree is in psychology. Mm -hmm. And in in psychology, you often learn about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how you Mm -hmm. have to have that basic need before you can even get eventually to that space of self-actualization. So I often want to talk to people about my basic need might be for belonging in this space. And although you think we can connect if we just only talk about what we have in common, what's important to me may not be something we have in common. And once you acknowledge that, maybe we have a connection. Uh, We learn from each other. We build a relationship. And I think so for a lot of people, as they're having these conversations and they're just like, why can't we all just get along? Why do we have to talk about this? It's really starting with helping them understand why it's important to certain people and also helping them connect with the things that would be important to them. Hmm. things that we don't always think about. I think Uzo Aduba, and I apologize if I missay her name from Orange is the New Black, right. did a video one time <laughs> and she talked about people saying her name correctly, even mm-hmm. saying Uzo appropriately. And she said, I got it for my birthday. 
And we mm. don't think about that. You know, that, yeah. that's important to me. Right. So I think starting with some of those things and helping people to understand what are the things that are important to you? Consider mm. the things that are might be important to this person. And, and where, where can we start from there? Connecting with those things. And from a psychology perspective, what are the psychological benefits for someone who doesn't want to talk about difference? If I'm in a position and I have someone that I'm working with and I don't want to talk about this, this and and you did a good job of just explaining how I could convince them that it's beneficial for other people that I recognize their difference. For example, recognizing the name and saying the name properly of someone I don't, that isn't an Americanized, anglicized name that I'm familiar with. That's important for that person. But how do you convince someone of the psychological benefits to them? If I don't want to see difference, how is it important for me to want and to eventually come to see difference? So I think it's interesting that you ask for the psychological benefits. I think in the business space, we, we always talk about the business case. Oh yeah. How does this benefit my business? Mm-hmm. And that might be your organization, but that might be your individual life, your individual pockets, your nonprofit, whatever that might be. And I think sometimes you kind of start there before you kind of get to the psychological. So it's if you can give this person this, you help this person feel like they're respected, you help this person feel like they're valued, they're more likely to stay. Right they're more likely to perform. You know, you pull out some statistics of this. This is, you're not giving a lot. Mm-hmm. We're not asking for a lot. We're it's asking huge for you to yeah. recognize I'm here. <laughs> right. And you get so much more when I feel like I belong, when right. I feel like I'm connecting. And I think once, because I, I will say, especially in the U.S. of America, we can have a very superficial society. We're just mm-hmm. thinking about the, the, the things that connect with us right now. Maybe I want to pay some bills. I want to have some yeah. status in a certain area. Once you kind of feed into those things that are important to people, then when they see that benefit, then they might be willing to come around and say, well, wait a second, this wasn't actually that hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and then you can kind of speak to a heart because everyone w- doesn't want to talk about heart. Everyone is not going to be that sensitive person that cares that much about connection and relationship. They want the bottom line. How does this impact my bottom line? And in that conversation about bottom line and the business case, what are some of the major shifts you've seen within the organizations, companies, businesses that you've seen who want to be more inclusive in recent times? So, what are some of the changes that you're seeing? on the business side about being more inclusive? So I I think we've all seen a number of positions created in the past year. Yes. That are chief diversity officer positions, director of diversity, equity, and inclusion positions and such at universities and corporations and nonprofits. I actually had a conversation with someone earlier today that is rolling out a position for their organization and The positions, I've had conversations with people before that, you know, you have the performative aspect of -hmm. some of the responses we've seen, especially since the George Floyd murder. A lot of companies were saying, well, this is what everyone else is doing, so let's do it. Right. Now things are starting to slow down because people are calling out, well, what was the meat behind that? What was the purpose behind that? You don't want just performative actions. So now we're starting to see organizations say, we need to dive. 
We need to dive into who we are, what our values are as an organization, so that we can actually put some some data behind what we're doing, some intentionality behind what we're doing. So we're not just seeing positions. We're seeing some actual work being done on the senior level, the board level of Mm -hmm. people exploring these conversations and trying to decide where do we go from here. And imagine an enormous part of that process is talent acquisition. So what are some potential recruiting solutions that could be explored by organizations to allow for equal opportunity and non-bias towards underrepresented candidates at all levels? So, you know, it's part of that huge dive is we have to remove the obstacles that prevent us from achieving diversity. So how do organizations go about doing that through acquisition and recruitment? So, so the first thing that I will say in removing the obstacles, sometimes we have to admit that we are the obstacle. <laughs> we have our own biases. We've come to this doing things a certain way for so long. And especially when we sit in places of privilege, especially when we sit in leadership positions, we're not connected to that work and those experiences anymore. These are not conversations people are having every day. So sometimes it's it's important for the leaders to be willing to sit in those uncomfortable spaces and have those uncomfortable conversations. Ultimately, what what is happening, especially in the talent acquisition area, is they're really starting to break down. And and some of the best practices you're seeing are one we're talking about now at one of my organizations, gender decoding. So really looking at your position descriptions and who are they leaning towards? Right. Who are you recruiting? What what genders are you recruiting mm-hmm. before you even talk to anyone? Even uh, in the job advertisement, like your secret the messages you're sending out. Yes. We're really looking for this type of personality. They're from this particular background, right? And they and they don't realize because they've just used position descriptions they've had for the past several decades. Mm-hmm. Even down to things like even if you're not using some of those buzzwords that will be considered masculine leaning or a feminine leaning, really does it have to say that I need to be able to lift 15 pounds? How often (laughs) am I lifting 15 pounds? (laughs) You know what I mean? I understand that you want it to say that I'm sitting, but there are several people that work effectively at standing desks. So really tearing up those job descriptions and saying, what is necessary? What are we really doing? And then who are we looking for? Another recruitment thing that we're seeing right now is the best practice is really reaching out to diverse pools, diverse websites that are actually targeting different identity groups, women in engineering, women in construction, things like that. Because if you're going to be looking at pulling from the same pool, if you're only pulling from a monster.com and no, no offense to them at all, but if you're only pulling from them, you might be missing these other areas. I've also seen that there are organizations that have partnerships with universities. And in those partnerships, they're pulling from maybe their MBA candidates. Maybe they're partnering with a Black student union at an institution to even develop internships And then hopefully through that internship, build a pipeline that that student will, once they graduate, want to be an employee of your organization. So really targeting some of those homogenous identity groups, Mm -hmm. different ways to to make sure that you are giving them the attention that's necessary in order to recruit them. And and also one thing that I, I definitely want to make sure that I add. Talent acquisition and and what we're trying to do with these organizations is not limited to we're going out to find them. We have to be able to sell 
something that's worth coming to. Mm-hmm. So organizations are looking at what are they putting out? Right. You know, what, what is your corporate strategy? Are you in the community? Because if you're not, and you say you're all for this cause, or you've written a statement in support of said group, but your work does not say that, why should I come? Or why should I stay? And we're finding that especially a year after people having this great awakening and all these companies that we want to do this, that the traditional, even the, like you mentioned, the traditional job websites yield traditional candidates. Now, even when it's identity specific, more and more of those identity specific websites are becoming a little protective. Like prove to us, you're not just going to poach someone from an underrepresented group that we represent and throw them into a position where they can't do anything. So what would you recommend for organizations? I mean, you mentioned part of it about like having investment in the community, but what else should organizations be doing to make sure that they have an inclusive environment where people from underrepresented groups can thrive? Not just like we're recruiting them, we trick them into coming, and then we create a terrible environment for them that they want to leave from. And we end up worse than we were when no one was here. What are the first sorts of things that organizations have to think about once they've recruited people from underrepresented groups? So I would challenge, and and everyone is going to do it differently, that before you spend a lot of time recruiting, if if you can manage, before you spend a lot of time recruiting, you need to assess your current employee team. Like you need to know what keeps them engaged. How are they feeling about that experience? Because again, if you focus on the recruitment and then you're selling them a bad product, they're not going to stay long at all, but you can't build the product as they're coming in because that doesn't work either. (laughs) You know what I mean? I've worked with people before that we've had some challenging experiences and new people have come in, new people have come in that I've even known. And they've said, well, did you tell them about the challenges we're having? And my response was no, because your challenge is not my challenge, which might not be theirs. Right. But but everyone is not going to feel that way. You know, right. if I join a company and someone has is disgruntled, they're uncomfortable, they feel unsafe. Right. You know, when we talk about psychological safety. I come in and they connect with me. They may say, here are some things that I want you to be aware of before right. you come in. Now, that may taint my experience. Maybe that's not what I was going to get, but it's not unfair for them to share that. So right. that I'm prepared. So I think there has to be a lot of effort put into what you have right now, Mm. the team that you have right now, and and keeping that team engaged, making sure it's a space where they want to be and hearing that feedback from them before you start going out and bringing other people. Also, strategy-wise, if you can hear that feedback from them, it helps you to, to determine who you're looking for. Right. Because you might be looking for a candidate that is not going to fit into your environment. Mm. If you're not assessing your environment, how are you going to know that? And you mentioned recruitment. You mentioned like some kind of reassessment and reevaluating your own situation to improve retention. But as the principal consultant for Griffith Consulting, what are the services that have been most requested based on the assessment of organizations and businesses you've worked with? So what becomes your most requested services? Right now, people are still trying to do training. 
they're still mm. trying to educate on all of these terms, these things that we're talking about. Uh, obviously, everyone knows unconscious bias is a, is a huge topic. Everyone wants to talk about unconscious bias. They want to talk about microaggressions. Last year, I had groups that wanted to talk about the, the federal direction when it came to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. And actually was coming out of the White House at the time. And what does that mean for us? How do and we, for those listeners who aren't familiar, there was an executive order under the previous administration that threatened to pull federal money from organizations that received federal fund and had training that mentioned systemic racism, white privilege, yes. um, white supremacy, or suggested that all white people were inherently racist. Okay. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for adding that. And and I think that that that's important because a lot of these organizations wanted to know how do we as advocates for inclusion continue this work with these guidelines coming down? How do we do this in ways that we don't jeopardize our businesses, jeopardize our organization? So they wanted to have those conversations. And, and those were some of the things that I was seeing a lot of last year. What is all of this about? Because I've never had to engage in this before. And now what am I supposed to do with this information yeah. now that I have it? All right. Well, thank you very much, Sabrina, for sharing your expertise and your knowledge and your experience. If our viewers and listeners want more information, how can they follow up with you? So they can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Um, uh-huh. My name is Sabrina N. Griffith, N is in Nicole Griffith on LinkedIn. So it's all one. So they can find me there. Also, I have a website, GriffithConsultingServices.com. So they can also find me on my website. Reach out if you have any questions or just want to talk about all of the stuff that's going on. I would love to connect with everyone. All right. Thank you again, Sabrina, for this lovely time. I learned a lot and I know everybody else out there did as well. And everyone listening, we're so glad that you tuned in this week for this episode of the Uplifting Impact podcast. We need more people to help us uplift the impact. And in order to do so, please, please, please be sure to share this episode Comment on it by going to our website at upliftingimpact.com or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact, Justin Ponder and Deanna Singh. Until next week, have a good one, allies. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.